0: today is to introduce you to the prophets. It's been my experience over the whatever 40 plus years of ministry that people will say, if not all the prophets, certainly the minor prophets are their weakest area of Bible knowledge. It's like either minor prophets or the book of the Revelation. It, you know, it's a, it's a toss up as to what we know and the value that we get from them. It's my contention that a big part of that, there's a variety of reasons that makes the Bible a difficult book to read, but a big part of the minor prophets' problem is that we, we don't know the backstory, we don't know the history, we don't know the narrative behind them and what's going on. We actually all like a narrative. We like a story. That's why we read books, that's why we go to movies, um, We that's why we talk to one another. We like to hear one another's narrative, one another's story, and we call them in church, we call them testimonies sometimes, but um, not all of the Bible is story. Not all of the, am I, I, I think I left one, yeah. Not all of the Bible is story, not all of it is narrative. The parts that are narrative we can get pretty enthused about. we What well, time of the year? We're still in January, right? So what do people do January 1 of every year? I'm going to, this year, read the Bible, read through the Bible. And we get through January with with maybe Genesis and maybe some of Exodus. and And then, oh my, we get halfway through February and we're into Leviticus. And it's like all these laws and things and boring, and it dies because where's the story? So that's my, my, my thesis there is, is that one of the reasons we don't understand the minor prophets is we don't understand where the story is of the Bible, what's going on that makes these people write what they write, say what they say, What's the context of them? So for the next few minutes, that's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and give you the context of the prophets that will hopefully say, say to you, Wow, you know, I really want to go read Haggai now that I know where he is or how he fits into the story. Now again, let's, let's start with the big picture, and I'm going to do this all, and by the way, I, I sort of said that I was jesting. I really wasn't. This morning is a lecture. This morning is not an interaction. I may ask questions, but most of the time, just like a lot of the teachers, they're rhetorical. They're not really intended to make you ask any. I mean, if it's yes or no, you can, uh, or whatever. But we're going to move pretty quickly this morning, and I hope that that's a, a, a value to you. Let's start with the big picture. The whole Genesis to Revelation thing. Um, how much history, how much human history is from the G in Genesis to the N in Revelation? How much human history? Oh, I know. You're, you're, you're like theologians. You're going to say, oh, well, it was eternity past to eternity future. So all of time is there. And, and, and theologically, that is correct. You're right. But I'm talking about the human history that is recorded, that is retained within the beginning of Genesis and the end of Revelation. So how much human history is there? All of it. Yeah, all of it. That's very good. That didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, 6,000 is, is, a, is a reasonable number. Um, You know, some people put it less, some people put it more, scholars debate about it. That's not the intention of this time together. This time is to kind of piece together some framework that you're going to remember. So for the purpose of just this, I'm going to use 4,500 years of human history. The reason I do that is to kind of demonstrate once again how and why the Bible is somewhat of a difficult Book to read. I mean, if I were to say 4,500 years of history and it's divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament, our minds almost logically just kick right into, okay, well, if it's divided into two parts, then there's half of it here and half of it there. But when we talk about chronology, when we talk about a time period, that's not true, is it? In fact, if I were to say, take this chair right here, I'm going to use these six chairs. If I said, okay... Uh, let's see, let me see where you are. Yeah, that'd be good. If I take this chair right here and say that this is the beginning of Genesis and this chair down here is going to be the end of the book of the Revelation, okay, and that covers 4,500 years, how much of that is, how much of that is Old Testament? How much of it is New Testament? You see, in, in my illustration, I would say to you that 4,000 years is the Old Testament. And, And then we get this block of time, about 400 years, of prophetic silence. A lot of people say, well, there's nothing going on. There's so much going on. I teach an entire semester on that 400 years. It's fascinating. But then the New Testament is just 100 years. And you see how that's kind of lopsided and wow. That's, in fact, if I were to go back here to Genesis, I would go from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the middle of the room just for the book of Genesis alone. Then Exodus starts here. Now, now we like that story. See if you can stay with me as I try and describe another issue of what makes the Bible somewhat challenging to read. And let's face it, somewhat uninteresting sometimes, okay? So Genesis, does it tell a story? Yep, we can divide the book of Genesis into eight parts. Creation, fall, flood, tower, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. If I had more time, I'd be asking you those questions and you'd be responding, but I don't. So we've got four events and four people, and that's the book of Genesis. So we get all the way down to Joseph, and it's a story, and we read it, and we like it. What happens in the next book? What's Exodus? Exodus is about the Exodus, about Moses and the story and being born and leading the children out. And so we like that, right? We we get the book of Exodus. Leviticus, does it tell a story? Now, this is my point right here, so not so much. No story in there. There are laws, a lot of laws. And when and where were many of those laws given? At the foot of Mount Sinai, right? And so that happened when? During the book of Exodus. So visually, I would take a step forward. I wouldn't continue down the line like this telling a story. I'd actually take a step forward to indicate that those two books overlap each other, right? And so we get Leviticus. Numbers, a little bit of story, a little bit of laws, both the Deuteronomy, the law over again, right? Okay, now we're to Joshua. Does Joshua tell a story? Nod like this. That's good. Judges tells a story. Yeah, that's good. Ruth, now Ruth tells a story, but what's the first verse in Ruth? Now in the days of the judges. So there's a huge. The, the, the time period, at least for Ruth, takes place during the judges. All right, what, what's after what's after Ruth? That was supposed to be. Uh, uh, something about Samuel, isn't it? Isn't he the guy? Yeah. First Samuel, and then <laughs> this is the easy question. What comes after 1 Samuel? 2 Samuel tells all kinds of wonderful stories. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, what? 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1st chron- chron- Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. All of that is just Wonderful story stuff. Now we get to the poetry. Who wrote most of the Psalms? David. David. We got to go back to First Samuel for David. See the Lord. We've got to pick this book. This one's not just adjacent to it like this, so it's an overlap here. This one's way down here. I got to pick up and carry it all the way back to First Samuel. Uh, um, uh, Proverbs. Who wrote those? Oh wow. Well, a lot of different people, granted, but we usually attribute most of them to Solomon. Well, he's a king. I got to go back into the kings and find where to put him, and and we don't do it, but that's okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes, same thing, and then we finally get down to my point, and I'm rushing. I realize to this guy named Isaiah. The big guys, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the big guys, and then we get the little guys. Hosea through Malachi, you know, and and they're like this many books down here, and we got to pick them all up and bring them back here, starting with, you know, Samuels and Kings and Chronicles and Ezra's and Nehemiah, and we got to stick them into the story to figure out what in the world's going on, and guess what? We don't do it. We're worn out. We don't know how to do it. And I'm not trying to be condescending. It's just, it is. It's, it's a lot of work. I don't read in the midst of Ezekiel or Daniel the historical context of where he is and what he's talking about enough for me to go, oh, that's really cool. I say, yeah, I, I follow that. I mean, it's just, in the end of the day, yeah, you know, when's the, tell me, When's the last time you had your quiet time in Nahum? You know, we we don't do that. That's what I'm trying to unpack for you. I've given you a couple of maps. I've given you a couple of my charts. The chart, the first one we're not going to talk at all about, but it's the divide. So you can see at the top, I want to just teach you how to read these charts. At the top, you have the kings of Israel. In this first block, the one that's got the be like that. And, and so you see, Saul, David, and Solomon were all kings, and the block is together, of the United Kingdom. And then we get Rehoboam's foolish decision to continue to tax the people, continue to work the people, continue to draft the people into the army and into his personal service. Uh, We're in 1 Kings there, chapters 11 and 12, you're, you're reading there. And so Rehoboam, who is the king on the bottom of Judah, makes this foolish decision. And so these two tribes to the south, that's kind of where I like pulling in the maps. Did I copy the same map on the same side? I sure did. Okay, that's okay. Everybody should learn to draw two maps. Oh, I'm not an artist. I get that. But everybody should learn to draw something like that. It doesn't have to be great. That's good enough. That's Israel. That's Palestine. And when Rehoboam made his foolish decision, it divided the land. Now there are two tribes to the south known as Judah, and ten tribes to the north known as Israel. Believe it or not, when I do this Bible survey story, you know, creation, fall, flood, tower, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Moses, born out, back, lead them, 10 plagues, lead them out, Red Sea, bottom of Sinai, da-da-da-da-da, do all that, judges, cycle, these kinds of things, and, 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 and I say, who's the first king? Oh, Saul. Who's the second king? David. Who's the third king? Solomon. What happened next? 80% of churchgoers drop off the cliff at that point. Some drop off sooner, but almost 80% at that point say, I don't know. Have no clue as to what happens. Solomon expanded the borders of Israel greater than any king had ever done. But he did it at the expense of the people. He taxed them. He worked them. He raised an army and he put them to war. And so much so that when his son was to take over as king, his son came and said, wow, you know, now I'm king. Well, the elders of the land went to Rehoboam and they said, you know, uh, you got to ease up on us. You got to lighten up. Your dad was just working us. And he didn't know what to do. So he went to the elders uh, of the land and, and he said, elders, what should I do? And they said, listen, you need to let up on these people. You, you need to you need to be, if you will be a servant, a great word for pastors, pastor if you will be a servant to these people, they will be a servant to you. Isn't that a great line? That's one of my favorites. He went over here to his friends. He says, hey, guys, what do you think I ought to do? And he said, stick the screws to them. I mean, make them, make them act like your dad was just a play toy, you know. You know he is just... You know, and who did he listen to? And so it caused that division that you see in that chart. That's why now there are kings, turn the right side up, there are kings across the top, and then there's another set of kings down below. And in those little blocks that go along the way, in those little blocks that go along the way, are the prophets of the day. Now, you don't recognize them. Uh, Azariah, Shemaiah, Idu. you don't recognize them. Why? Because they're not writing prophets. They're what we call the former prophets. They were prophets who did some things, and it's good to read. Go read. Pick up your Bible and see where they're listed in Kings, and see their stories. It's great, but they're not writing prophets. So that when you turn the page over, you come to just um, uh, the small block at the top. It's a continuation. I want to make sure that's clear. It's a continuation of the chart before. Now Israel's on the top, but it's a short block. And Judah is on the bottom, and it's a much longer block. And you begin to recognize some of those names that are there, at least through the prophets, like Amos, like Hosea, like Jonah, not spelled correctly. Right? You you see that. Uh, So what I'm trying to do at this juncture right now, is teach you, so that you can use it later on, how to use this chart. The kings are across the top, so remember, I'm over here. I put a mark on that chair. Not the first time in 24 hours. That's the story of another day. Um, I'm over here in the king's talking about the kings and I'm in the chronicles talking about the kings. So the kings and the chronicles overlap a lot, but they're talking about the kings. So when I look at the top of that block and I see Jeroboam, Zechariah, Shalom, Menachem, those names across there, I'm talking about the kings. So in other words, that's the story. When I'm in the blocks in the face of the block, that's the prophet. So that you can actually look right up and see where that prophet is during that time. Now, in order for us to piece it together, we have to piece together what's going on. And that's what happens in the middle of the two blocks. That's what happens in the middle of the two blocks, and that's what happens with your your other map that I am going to see if I can erase this one and show you the other map that I think that you can draw, but it is harder. And I do something like this. I go like this. I go boom, 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 like that. I do a little something like that. I come over here, do something like that. This is a little bit smaller. And that's my map. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's just the Mesopotamian, Tigris, Euphrates, uh, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, Mediterranean Sea. And it's, it's just simple like that. But now... This is the ABCs of understanding the kings and the prophets. The ABCs. It is simplistic, and it is over-simplistic. After you get the basic framework of the ABCs, then I start telling you where I lied, or you know where I begin to get a little bit more specific. Well, it's not exactly that. It's this. Nonetheless, the prophets can be divided by these three crisis periods. And when you have three boundaries, you have four categories. When you have three boundaries, if you have the full boundary, you have four categories. You see that? And so it reduces it to the four categories of prophets according to when they ministered, when they prophesied, when they wrote. So the first boundary, the first category starts up here with a particular city that you know of from a prophetic book. But we start with A, with the Assyrian crisis, the Assyrians. The Assyrians were in control of Mesopotamia and the Mediterranean of this area during the 700s, 800s. And, um, and they controlled the entire area and they were putting pressure down here on Israel to control it as well. I want to insert something that's a little bit too much detail but right here in this region, we know of today as Syria, the Bible calls Aram. Aram. If you've been reading your Bible ever, you'll see that Aram, or the Arameans. Not the Arminians, not Arminius, but Aram. The reason I want to bring that up is because during the Assyrian crisis, and don't forget, during this period, Israel is divided. During this period, Assyria wants to come down and attack. Well, what Israel does, and you say, oh, I'm getting a little bored with this history, watch. What Israel does is they go to the king of Aram and they say, join with us And let's both fight against the Assyrians. Well, I don't know that's going to work. I don't know whether we're big enough and strong enough. Hey, if we had the help of Judah, we might be able to pull this thing off we might be able to defeat or at least hold off the Assyrians. So Syria and Israel got together to try and convince Judah to join them. And guess what Judah said? Nah, not going to do it. And so what they did, what Rezin and Pekah did, the kings of Syria or Aram and Israel did, they said, well... We'll just attack you and we'll take the resources that we need. We'll take the men and all that you have. And, you know, if you won't voluntarily sign up, we'll take them. And the king who was the king? Let's just look. Wow. The king of Judah is Hezekiah. Now think about that for a second. Hezekiah. All right. He's the king. What are the prophets under that? I see Isaiah, Micah, Nahum. Do you see that? But what I also want you to see is the arrows from A going up. You see in the center of the block the A? And you see the arrows that are going up? When I take my Bible, which is not what I'm going to do a lot of, but you're going to do next week, I turn to Hosea. Hosea is the first of what we call the minor prophets. By the way, they wouldn't appreciate that name. But anyway, and I read, The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Burai, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Israel. I read in the first verse... And I also read, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now, that's the only king that he mentions in Israel. But take a look once again at your chart and see how long the block of Hosea is. You see? Why is it long? Because when I look down below, I see the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And during the days of Hezekiah, these two guys come down to Judah and they say, fight with this, and not going to do it. Well, we'll take what we want. Now, I'm trying to illustrate what I'm trying to do. I've, I've taken you into the story a long way. But here's what I'm trying to illustrate to you to do. A prophet comes. One of those guys listed under that. A prophet comes and he says... To the king, hey, hey, Hez, Hez, don't worry about these two. He called them firebrands. It's like a stick that's been in the fire, but the fire's going out and it's dwindling. It's a firebrand. It's going out. A fire. Don't worry about these two firebrands. They're not going to harm you. Don't worry about the king of Israel and the king of Aram. They're not going to harm I tell you what, Hez, I'll tell you what, Hez. This is what I want you to do. To prove to you that these guys are not going to bother you, I want you to pick a sign for God to perform so that he'll convince you that's going to happen. I want you to pick a sign. You know know what Hezekiah says? Nah. I'm not going to do that. You foolish king. Why I tell you, Isaiah says, I'll tell you, this is Buzz paraphrase, all of it is you know, I'll tell you what. You foolish king, I'll tell you what. God will pick the sign himself. God will perform the sign, and then God will perform the sign and its promise. Now tell me what it is. Behold, a virgin shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, and he will save his people from their sins. It's not just Christmas. These guys are going to destroy them. And the Bible says that God's, through the prophet, don't worry about these two firebrands, for God will give you a sign. God will perform the sign, and God will perform what the sign means. The sign is a virgin will give birth to a son. Therefore, you now know that God promises that these guys will not do it. And they didn't do it. Now take that to Christmas. Behold, a virgin shall give birth to a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, for God is with you. And God will deliver you from all of your enemies. From your sin enemies. You see, the historical context carries the message. And that's the Assyrian crisis. So that when another prophet comes along, use a different color like this, who lives down here, but goes up to this area here, where they've already connived with this guy, are they trusting God? Israel, the ten tribes of the north, never had a good king. Never followed after God. Worshipped other gods, in fact. Put up high places. Did all kinds of despicable things. Never listened to God's prophets. Now this guy who lives in the south goes up to the north and says, let me tell you about you guys. You're like a barrel of rotten apples. There isn't one single apple in the barrel That's not rotten. (laughs) Well, thanks for the good news. You can go back home. Because he was from Tocoa down here and his name was Amos. Or how about this? You've castigated this guy for a long time. There's a guy who used to live right here. And, And God says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to be my prophet. And he says, <laughs> you got the wrong guy. You want me to go where? You want me to go to the capital city of the Assyrians called Nineveh? And you want, me, you want me to go to Baghdad and tell them that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and give them the four spiritual laws about the gospel of Jesus? You want me to do what? What? And so he goes down to the shore and he gets on a boat, doesn't he? And his name is Jonah. But the the wonderful story of Jonah is that finally, of course, he goes. And what happens in Nineveh? They repent. And he says, see, I told you. You, a gracious God, if I do, I, I don't like these people. And if I do what you say, you're liable to be gracious and kind to them. You see the historical context? They're the enemy. Before you just say, oh, Jonah's the rebellious prophet. And he is. I know that. But do you see what the historical context does? It puts color to the picture. And, and the same thing is, is true. I know I've already brought up Isaiah down there in Judah. But each prophet... Oh, it's gone. It's okay. Each prophet has a characteristic. He has a story. And when the Babylonians, we're just going to have to abbreviate that for now, captured the Assyrians, they too kept coming around the Fertile Crescent. About 900 miles here. Takes about four months to travel it. And the Babylonians came around and they were knocking on the door. Nebuchadnezzar and other kings. And I didn't give you all the kings of Assyria. I just don't have time for that. But they were coming. And uh, they were attacking. So when we get a guy like Isaiah, it's not its not a, um, a part of the chart that's missing. Look at the name Isaiah. Do you see that the block is not completed? That the right side of the block is not there? Because... For us to go to Isaiah, we would read, uh, well, I'm not supposed to do the major prophets, so will do that. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And he talks about all the crisis, because he's already spoken to Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Israel, excuse me, Judah, but during the, the Assyrian crisis. But now he's going to talk about the Babylonians coming. And by the time you get to chapter 40, and then, oh, here, well, I won't do it now. He's going to talk about more than that. Uh, but what about Micah? Well, Isaiah is in the courthouse. Isaiah is in the palace. He's with the king. Where's Micah? The Bible says that Micah is from Moriah. Anybody know where Moriah is? Exactly. You know, people ask, where, where do you live exactly? And I say, well, you, you can't really get there from here. We don't live anywhere. You know, someplace called Pioneer. Say, well, where's that? Well, there's a shell station there. You know, that's where Morsheth is. Micah's is a country preacher. You know, what does is, what, what is Isaiah talk about? Trick question. Isaiah talks about everything. He talks about the Assyrians. He talks about the Babylonians. He talks about the Christ. He talks about all kinds of things. Micah, what does Micah talk about? He's out in the country. He says, let me tell you about, let me tell you, in the midst of these crises and the Assyrians and the Babylonians coming, let me tell you what. You know what really matters? Let me tell you what my God requires of you. But that you love justice. You do right. You walk humbly with your God. That's my, he, he, if, well, who didn't know that? I already told you he's a country preacher. He's a simple kind of guy. Isaiah's in the courtroom with the king. He's stately. Micah's out there in the country just telling people it's all God requires. Just, you don't really need to know it. You know, you know what? You don't need to go to seminary. I mean, it's good to go to seminary. I've been to seminary. I love it. But you know, Micah's Mike, Mike like, you don't need that. In the midst of all this challenge, need to walk humbly with God. Love people. Do justice. Nahum. Oh, what about Nahum in the midst of this challenging thing going on? You see where Nahum is? You kind of look at it real critically. Nahum is like right there at the last arrow going up to Israel where the jagged line is and it's coming across there. You know, Nahum. What's Nahum about? Vengeance. Vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Whose vengeance on who? God's vengeance. God's vengeance on who? This is huge. This is huge theologically. The Bible says that God appointed the Assyrians to come down and discipline Israel for going in the directions that they were going away from him. And then Nahum comes along and says, and now you, Assyria, will be judged for what you've done. Why? Well, they, they exceeded what God wanted them. They massacred, they did all kinds of things that God had not instructed them to do. And so now Nahum is about God's judgment on Assyria for, for at least partially doing what, is, what God told Assyria to do. But they did it in the arrogance. They did it far and beyond what God had told them to do. And so Nahum, unique, is preaching against Assyria for doing what they did to Israel. Now look at this. Nahum is the only book without hope. All the other prophets, even as harsh, even as harsh as Amos. You're going to go home today. You're going to read Amos, short one. You look at the end of it. Whoop. I call, you, know, you know, like the ski jumpers, you know, uh, guys who like that. And then right at the end, they jump, you know. I was in Innsbruck once. I stood up on top of that. thing think it's really cool. All the prophets do that. I don't care how bad, 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 bad it is. You get to the end of them and it's like, and God will restore. God will give hope. God is still on the scene, except for Nahum. God says nobody will ever rebuild that city. If they do, they'll do it at their peril. No hope in Nahum. Wow. But that happens down there in Nahum. Joel, we don't know, so let's skip it. No, it's a locust, and people try and find a historical context for it. But Jeremiah, oh, wow. If I only had time for Jeremiah. You see, because the Babylonians come in more than once. They come in actually three times. And, uh, and they come in. And Jeremiah is the prophet of the day. And this really great king. Uh, Josiah. See that block? How it comes. Jeremiah and Josiah is there. No greater revival has ever been seen in the history of the world. Than the revival that took place during Josiah. Not before him. Not even David. Not Solomon. No king after them. No king was ever greater than Josiah. Josiah said, oh, Judah is starting to follow after the ways of Israel, building high places and chasing gods and doing things like this. And we we haven't celebrated the Passover in decades. But somebody was renovating the temple and they found the book of the law and they took it to Josiah and said, look what the Bible says. Interestingly enough, you know where the Bible was lost? It was lost in the house of God. Whoa. And that's why I do what I do with the prophets. They're lost. And where are they lost? They're lost in the house of God. And Josiah comes along and he tears down the high places and he restores the Passover and there's a great celebration and there's a great revival. And then comes what I call the point of no return. You see it down all the way down. Second Kings 23, 26. And no matter what version of the Bible you read, I love the New American Standard, um, notwithstanding, uh, but NIV, nevertheless, you know what it says after the point of no return? You see where Jeremiah is? Right underneath that point of no return. You see that? The Bible says in 2 Kings 23, 26, it says, nevertheless, God does not relinquish from the wrath and the judgment that he's bringing on Judah." Which one are you in vinyls here to be Jeremiah? Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's job is to go into the kings and to the people and say, I don't care what you do. Doors are going to get closed. I'd Walk into Providence Church and say, well, I'm a prophet of God and I'm here to tell you that these doors are going to be closed in three weeks. You guys are history. Anybody want that job? Nobody wants that job. And the people didn't like Jeremiah. And they beat him, and they blinded him, and they threw him into a pit. History tells us that they kidnapped him and took him to Egypt. Jeremiah, wow, read Jeremiah. I got a belt here. Jeremiah, take your belt off. Go down to the river. Bury it in the muck. Leave it there for a while. Leave it there for a long while. Hey, Jeremiah, go back and get your belt. Why, this thing is good for nothing. That's what my people, Judah, Israel, is to me. Whoa, be Jeremiah. Daniel, I don't have time for it. I'll do a couple of others just real quickly. Habakkuk and Obadiah. Oh, here's Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Habakkuk standing on the wall of the city. And he's looking out. Read it. You'll see. He's looking out over the way out. And he sees this cloud of dust. And the Bible says his knees were shaking. Read the beginning of Habakkuk. He's like, God, where are you? It's like he sees the Babylonians coming. And he wants to know where God is. Listen, the next time somebody comes to you with some serious doubt, please, please don't say, listen, God loves you. He's in charge. You're going to be okay. There are some serious indications of people in the Bible with some serious way down in the pit doubts about where God is and what God is doing. And that's Habakkuk. Oh, but read the end. Read the end. I don't care if the flower fades. I don't care if the fruit is not on the tree. Read the end. See what happened to Habakkuk. Obadiah is a different story. Obadiah is right there at the end. The Babylonians are coming. They came once. They destroyed a lot of things. They came twice. They destroyed more things. You know, the first time the Babylonians came, who did they take? Right, Daniel. Second time they came, who did they take? Right, Ezekiel. And and, and the place was a mess. But Obadiah talks about a people who lived down here. They're called the Edomites. And you know what the Edomites did? After they destroyed everything, the Edomites sneaked around the bottom of the Dead Sea and went up and ravaged whatever was left. There's only old people and infirmed. Only a few gardens left. You know? Well, we'll take whatever we can get. Oh, read the judgment of God against the Edomites in Obadiah. But it's the story. It's the story. that ca- You read that, you see, oh, I know what went on during that. And that's why God is saying that. Everything, now nah, there's still symbols and things in there that are going to make it challenging for you. But you know the story of it. And I've already told you that both Daniel and Ezekiel are over here. So when we read those books, Daniel's in Babylon when he's talking about Darius the king and he's thrown into the pit and and the friends are thrown into the fire. They're all in Babylon. Ezekiel, when he's there. Oh, I'm doing okay. You're not. You're fading, but I love it. I love this part of... Listen, Ezekiel's there and the people are there with him, of course, and the people are all like, yeah. Not such a bad place. I mean, we get to build a house. We got gardens here. And don't forget, the God of Israel is still in the temple. He's still in the Holy of Holies. He's still in his place. And so God comes to Ezekiel. And the Bible says God grabs Ezekiel up by the hair of his head and carries him all the way from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem. And he shows him the destruction of, of, of Jerusalem. And he shows them the destruction of the temple. And he says, now you go back to Babylon and you tell these people who are trusting in brick and mortar, they're trusting in traditions and superstitions instead of truly me, their God. And Ezekiel, you tell them, oh, if you read through it, read chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of Ezekiel. And several places along the line, Ezekiel looks into the temple and he sees the glory of God it's hovering over the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And then in another place, he says, and look, the glory of God raised up into the temple. And he's filling the temple. And then the next chapter says, and the glory of God raised up. And he's hovering over the threshold of the door. And then the next thing he says, and he was hovering over the gates of the city. And then the next, in the mountain that is east of the city. Tell me what's happening to the glory of God. He's leaving. Now you go back to Babylon and you tell these people, the brick and the mortar is gone and the glory of God is gone. You need to wake up and understand the judgment of God from Ezekiel. And then the Babylonians got attacked by these guys way up here, the Persians. And they defeated them. And in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, there went out a proclamation to all of God's people, all of Israel, saying, whoever there is among you, let his God be with him. Let him get up and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that is in Jerusalem. So the king of Persia, once he attacked and defeated the Babylonians, then had control of whatever the Babylonians had control of, and one of those things was the Jews. And through him, Isaiah 45, wait a minute, can't be Isaiah. Isaiah was way back there. I told you, Isaiah preaches about everything, including the restoration under C, Cyrus, king of Persia. A, B. See, now you can go back home and rebuild. And they do go back home and rebuild. Sort of. They started it, and then they stopped it. Afraid of other people that in the land were discouraging them from doing the work. So much more, but we don't have the kind of time, so I'm kind of trying to paraphrase it as quickly as possible. We went back home. We started building. But then these people came down. They bothered us. We sent a letter back to the king of Persia and saying, Hey, uh, what's the deal here? I thought we were supposed to build. And these guys are bothering us. You need to search the library and, and make sure you have the, 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 the letter from the king that said we, we could do this. And they searched the library and found out, Wait a minute. These Jewish people, they are trouble. You, you guys better, you better stop doing what you're doing. And the building on the temple stopped for 14 years until, guess who? A prophet. In fact, a tandem of prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And Haggai comes along and he says, so let me ask you people, you've been back here in the land, God restored you, you're no longer prisoners, started to build, you stopped to build. But you go out and you work every day, don't you? And and you make money, don't you? But let me tell you what, you don't prosper. Have you ever noticed that? You're working really, really hard. You're not getting anywhere. That's because you're taking your money and you're putting them in, in, in pants with holes in them. Way of God saying your money's just going right on through. And let me tell you something, Haggai says. The gold is mine and the silver is mine, says the Lord. You dwell in your panel houses while the house of the Lord lies desolate. Now get off of your backside and get back to work. And in tandem, Zechariah comes along. And these people are really worried because they're still being bothered. In fact, the people who were bothering before, when they started again, they bothered them again. And they didn't know what to do. And Haggai says, I'll tell you what you do. You don't trust And brick and mortar and money and things like that. For it's not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, declares the Lord of hosts. And I ask people, what are you talking about? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, what? And Zechariah answers and says, this house of the Lord will be rebuilt. The prophet shows up in the restoration under Cyrus and says... Get off your backside. It belongs to God. And don't think you're doing it yourself. It's the spirit of God. Incredible pictures in Zechariah that would just go boom if I had time to do them. And then Malachi. Probably 25, 30 years later. Temple's built. It's not built like it used to be why I add Ezra and Nehemiah there. The wall gets built under Nehemiah. The temple gets built under Ezra. There's a lot of the story in those two books that carry, carry the day. But I have time for it. I have a whole 10-week series on Ezra alone. But then there's Malachi. Will a man rob God? Me? Will a man leave the wife of his youth? Tell me what Israel, what Judah is doing. With all that you've heard this morning, what is Israel doing? Under Ezra, they started marrying the people of the land. Now, by the time we get 25, 30 years later to Malachi, what is Israel doing? No, you've got to be kidding me. You're doing the same thing again that got us into trouble in the first place? I cannot believe it. Do you not know anything of the history of your people? You're doing the same thing over again. That's Malachi. I hope that you see that there is a rich treasure in the minor prophets. And it can be unpacked simply by the ABCs. Because we have four categories of prophets. We have prophets who prophesied to or during the Assyrian crisis. We have prophets who prophesied to Judah before the Babylonian captivity. We have prophets that prophesied to Judah in captivity. And we have prophets that prophesied to Judah after the captivity. Four categories. This guy who's after is going to be different than this guy who prophesied to Israel. But once you know this basic framework, and and we've only taken 45 minutes here to try and introduce that to you, there's much more to learn. And if you like history, which many people do, it's rich with it. It carries the story. It carries the story and it carries God's message. So you have these four categories that when you know, oh, okay, so there's Jonah, Hosea, and uh, Amos, who were Assyrian crisis prophets. And, And then we have about eight, nine of prophets that are Judah before the captivity. How many in captivity? Just two prophets in captivity, right? Daniel and Ezekiel. And then after captivity, in the restoration, we have three more. And their messages are going to be coordinated with the time period in which they live. And their message meshed with it. So I hope that you'll read them. I hope you'll look forward. Bob's going to begin with Hosea. It's fantastic stuff. Because you're going to see the spiritual condition of Israel and why it is that God appoints Assyria to come down and judge them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Spirit of the Living God that always makes us enthused about knowing you through your word. And I pray that you'd use this time to open these pages of the Bible for us that we may know you walk with you. In Jesus name Amen.